Let's go. Welcome to the Poptimist. I'm your host, Taylor Berryman, aka the Poptimist. You can find me on Instagram at the underscore Poptimist on Twitter, which is the DA underscore Poptimist. On Facebook, uh, Poptimist on there too. I want to talk a little bit today about practicing and kind of what I've been up to and my own personal habits with practicing and uh, my consistency and everything like that. So uh, for starters, I figured this is a good way for me to commit more to practicing and getting the things done that I need to get done by talking about them on this podcast. So this week, I have decided that I really want to start getting back into songwriting uh, and composing. It's something I've gotten away from, which is a real shame. Um, I don't regularly write anymore, and I feel like that's something I need to continue to do. Uh, I'm going to work on trying to come up with this exercise that my teacher taught me, cycle of fourths, which is just basically cycling through all the fourths. And I'm gonna, uh, I'm going to write a little short song clip based on that. Try and come up with something, maybe program some drums, come up with a little melody, and see what happens from there. I'm also gonna practice five hours this coming week and learn four out of five by Arctic Monkeys. I found a great chart for that from this guy online. His name's Pedro Zappa. You should check out his website. He has a bunch of really fantastic bass charts. So if you're a bass player, go and check him out. They are phenomenal. I printed printed off a bunch of them the other day and I was just kind of playing through them and I was like, wow, this is pretty good. He has a bunch of videos of him playing too, so you should check that out. He also has an Instagram that you can just uh, check out. as Pedro Zappa. Definitely worth looking into. Deadpool 2. We saw it last night. What was your verdict? Like thumbs up, thumbs down. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Not as good as the first. I would agree with that. I would also say thumbs up. Um, I I enjoyed it. I thought it was funny, but it felt like it was a little too self-aware this time around. They knew how people reacted the first time, and they were trying to give people those same moments the second time. Yeah, that's true. And I wonder, like, if Deadpool's just going to become too much. With another movie, I wonder. Yeah. I wonder so too. I wonder if you can, if you can keep just doing it on and on and on because it's just gonna get repetitive. Yeah, gonna get too 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 meta. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I liked it. I mean, needed more Peter, way more Peter. Like the Peter needed to be fucking turned up. He was. He was in it maybe three or four scenes. Yeah, it wasn't much. Yeah, I want way more Peter. And then the cable thing, Josh Brolin was really cool as cable, but I wanted more of him too, more of his perspective. Um, but it was good. They kept the heart from the original, which I liked. Yeah, this one had a lot of heart to it, you know. It was about family, and it was about, uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say. It was about family. It was about yeah, family like the, and love and emotion and everything like that. Yeah, like the first one was like a love story when you boiled it down. This one was still kind of a love story when you boiled it down. It was like his relationship to this... This kid that he's trying to save from uh, Cable. He's trying to kill him. This fat jerk kid. 
<laughs> yeah, it was kind of redeeming for, for Deadpool spiritually. But I liked it. I mean, it's definitely... I think it's hard to capture the like the magic of the original. Yeah, because the first time going into it, you've never seen that character before. Yeah. But the action was good. The director is one of the guys who did the first John Wick. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he's the co-director. And so the other guy's been doing John Wick, and then this guy went off and kind of... He's doing his own thing. So, like, the action looked really good. Yeah, the action was great. Yeah. It was good. I mean, I think that, you know, now they'll do, like, probably X-Force, and it'll just kind of become, like, a full-blown comedy. Yeah. Which is fine. They're fun. They Not as good fun. as the original. The original was probably, like, one of the best comic book movies I've seen. Yeah. One of the best action movies I've seen, too. Yeah. But, yeah, it was good. There was also several tra- trailers. There's going to be stuff coming out in the next couple months was there anything that popped out to you I don't remember any of the trailers really we saw. not one I was really stoned I don't remember a single trailer and we saw like 30 but you did also have Coca-Cola Jack Daniels yeah. slushies wonderful drink those wonderful were delicious shout out to the Regal Cinemas the Opry yeah, Bell's Regal Cinemas there's alcoholic slushies yeah yeah I had two for a couple of degenerates like us. They were delicious. I had a non-alcoholic slushie. Yeah, that was, yeah. You criticized me the whole way, uh, up to the point where I started well, cause I have being my, fucking helpful. I have my alcohol slushie, and you have this, like, goofy look. It even had, like, the little dome on it. Like, it was like a, it was like something that 12-year-old drinks. Fuck you. It was good. I'm glad it was good. What kind of slushie was it? A cherry and Coke. Mine was Coke and Jack Daniels. And then Coke and Captain Morgan. <laughs> well, Zach, thank you for uh, coming on and doing a Deadpool review. Uh, yeah. Go out and see it if you haven't seen it. Yeah. Hi, this is Zoe Sky Jordan, and you're listening to my song Blondie. Blondie, I know how you like your coffee. I know. Jesus Christ.
Today, our guest is Zoe Sky Jordan. Welcome to the Poptimist. Thank you. Happy to be here. So, what was your earliest musical memory? My earliest musical memory, um, both of my parents are musicians, so pretty early. Uh, my earliest memory would be like waiting in the wings of a theater, watching them play, and one time uh, running out an irresponsible babysitter <laughs> let me loose, and I went and I danced. <laughs> How old were you? Like three. Three, okay. So this is something you've been around your entire life. Yeah. What do your parents do? Are they singer-songwriters? Are they side people? They're the writers and they're uh, their own artists, but... Uh, yeah, they've written for other people. That's been like a, the bulk of their career. So you've you've all, this has always been a pretty big piece of your life for sure. And I imagine a pretty big part of your connection with your family. Yeah, my brother's a musician too. He's amazing. He's just on a reality show in Canada, um, and he's killing it. Yeah, the four of us all all doing music. When did you first start playing? Real, I mean, I kind of. Because I grew up with it, I didn't. Took me maybe longer than other kids to be like, "Oh, this is my thing that I like to do." Um, I kind of took it for granted. I was like, "You just write songs. You just sit in your room and you write songs all the time. That's not a hobby. That's just like you have dinner and then you go upstairs and you write a song." I didn't really get that. So, and then I kind of rebelled against it. And I didn't really even pick up a guitar till I was like fifteen or sixteen. Which is still an earlier start than most, I would say. Really? I feel like people like pick up the guitar at like 12 or 13. Yeah. I don't know. That was about, <laughs> that was about when I picked it up. I think, um, well, my buddy, I have a buddy, Ryan. He comes from a very musical family, and he's a drummer. He started playing the fucking drums when he was three years yeah. old. And you can hear it in his playing because he has so much style and personality and is so well-defined in who he is. Right. So would you say that you are a um, a singer first, or do you a guitar player first, or? Um, I would say that I'm a, a singer and a lyricist first. And how long have you been in Nashville for now? Two and a half years. Okay, Maybe and you moved from Toronto. I actually moved from LA. Okay. Wow. I, I uh, I'm from Toronto, but I was living in LA doing pop writing and kind of burnt out on it. I wasn't there. You know, I used to go three or four times a year from Toronto to write, but um, I, yeah, I kind of just burnt out on it um, when I was there for a concentrated year. And I started coming here and I met a bunch of great people and was like, oh, this is better. I'm going to move here. Mm -hmm. It's a relax too. <laughs> yeah, it's a sleepy kind of, southern life because you can still drive around on a sunday here and there will be no cars out on the street yeah it's wacky it's i just was uh filling out my car before i came here and there were two guys who looked like they just walked from their house in bare feet like just like regular dudes but yeah. who actually i i was like that's kind of a weird choice and then i thought oh they're new to nashville and they think that they're in the country and they don't need to wear shoes. <laughs> they, oh, they don't know that they're on, at yeah. Nolansville and Thompson. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah, uh, it's I've been here now for close to three years, um, and it's definitely kind of radicalized the way that I've seen 
music when you when you first moved to Nashville how did your ideas about the music business and music careers change I mean if oh, that's a good question I, I didn't really except that it felt more abundant like in Toronto sometimes there isn't an industry the industry isn't big enough to really support greatness and after a certain while you're not really incentivized to get better mm -hmm. you're incentivized to like keep being what the granting system wants you to be um and you're then you're incentivized to become a grant writer it's sort of a weird thing so compared to that um, big fish small ponds that's very easy to do in canada and here and and then nashville compared to la like and, you know, I, I was only in L.A. for a year. I'm not going to act like I know what the entire culture is. But definitely in Nashville, it feels like there is enough to go around. And there's just such an abundance of fabulous musicians that, like... And people are so generous. People, like... I've met so many people because people introduced me to people. Like, it's... Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it, it just feels, like, really abundant. That's the word. Yeah, it's everywhere here, all around. Yeah. So, I've never really lived in a big city before I moved here. I Where I have from? lived. I'm from Maine originally. Okay. Well, I grew up in Maine and in Florida. Oh, nice. So those weren't two places that really had a lot going on music wise. Florida, yes, in a lot of ways, down in Miami, but it's like after people are already successful, they go to Miami right. to record their cocaine album. Right. <laughs> but um, what changed for me really? is seeing how this career is uh, different levels in a lot of different ways, both personally and professionally. Mm -hmm. And I sometimes feel like I do a lot of different things, so it's hard to be, to figure out where, really where I fit. Right. Because I'm always kind of changing and trying to be something new. Um, that's one thing I like, though, is there is the ability to just completely rewrite yourself in this career. Because I do this podcast, and I have a bunch of music stuff that I do on the side. And For the first couple of years here, I was, I've was i been really just focused on being a bass player and all that, and I've gotten to record and everything. But there comes a certain point where I woke up one day, and I'm like, why am I trying to go out and get gigs from other people when I am the gig myself? Because as, as an artist for myself, I'm not someone, like, I guess what I'm trying to say is I figure out who I am really as an artist since right. I've been here. Right. I always knew what I was, but in the big scheme of things, I didn't understand. Right. Because I'm not really a singer-songwriter, but I'm kind of the guy who brings everything together and puts the whole team together and does, like, I would say I'm more along the lines of, like, a Mark Ronson or a Danger Mouse. Right. I have my own music that I write, but I want to bring other people in to bring it to life, more right. like a director. Right. And that was something that it took me a while to stumble around to really figure out. And I didn't really do my due diligence as a bass player ever. I've always been a good player who's been in the pocket. But one thing that changed for me when I moved here, you move here and you're like, holy shit, everybody here is good. Yeah. <laughs> but it's because the best players are the ones who are A, easy to get along with, and B, figured out what they do well and they focus on that they don't focus yeah. on their weaknesses mm -hmm. did you go through anything like that when you first moved to nashville or even when you moved to los angeles well i have like the sort of um uh like i it's been good 
but it's it's like kind of a weakness in that I'm not good at a lot of things and I've always known that. Like I know what I'm good at and, and I just do that. Yeah. And not I'm not a great guitar player, you know, I'm adequate. Um, to be able to write and <laughs> yeah. strum some chords. Yeah, yeah, like, you know, I can figure shit out, but like I'm I'm not I'm not I'm not a fabulous musician. Um and what did take me a long time to figure out, like because I grew up around musicians and um, I, I, there was something where like, I didn't always feel like I fit in with musicians. Like, I didn't always feel like it was my tribe. Um, and I realized my tribe is create like creators, people who make things. And it doesn't really matter if it's music. Music is what I'm making now, but, mm-hmm. but I like to make stuff. I like to build stuff and I like to have, ideas and I like to go for long walks and think about my ideas and I think before we started recording I just said you know I'm about to go into this writer's cave a little bit of that is because now that I've been here for a little while and I released um my record topiary at the end of 2016 that's you know it's kind of I'm wrapping that yeah um into the cycle yeah but now that I've been here and I'm surrounded by so many awesome people i I do have ideas that I wouldn't have had otherwise about what I want to do next. And funnily enough, that is like getting more, um, getting more less, <laughs> like getting more, uh, simple with what I'm doing. And, uh, I, you know, go, kind of going back to my singer songwriter thing. Like I'm so, every time I see somebody write a really simple song that is dense, and but their words are chosen really carefully. Mm-hmm. Like that's where my jealousy kicks in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh fuck, that was concise. Yes. <laughs> yeah, makes you want to be better than yeah. you were. Yeah. I think I think it's healthy. You know, uh, uh, there's a lot of musicians. I would say musicians. Maybe you can attest to this because you grew up around it. A lot of musicians are like pirates. <laughs> it's it's like I feel sometimes that the loyalty can easily switch. You know, oh, interesting. If you, if you look like you have gigs or you have something going on, everybody <laughs> wants to wants to be like, "Hey, let me help you on your treasure hunt." But if if you're just looking for the map and you don't have any of the facts yet, then no one wants to right wants to work with you. But that being said, you know, I think there is something that can really push you forward artistically when you get around get around that because you it does force you to have to stick to your guns and decide when to stick up for yourself or decide okay maybe it's not best that I speak up right now and I just go with the flow and allow things to happen Uh, in terms of what in terms of career in terms of songwriting because I think I know there have been times in my life where I've put a lot of pressure on myself and I haven't been able to create because I've been looking around seeing other people doing something and you can get blinded. Well, I think a lot of times people don't remember that they are offering something to people when they're writing music and they look around and like, oh, but this person, this is cool right now. Or, you know, they had success at this and maybe I should try this. Maybe I should try this. Like you're offering something and can you actually offer um, a better version of like, you know, what the new Ariana Grande single was? Like maybe not, but like what... And I, I think there are clues in what you can offer and what you offer every day. Like when you're out on the street or who are you in your, in your group of friends? Like that's 
that's part of it. That's part of uh, what people want to hear from you. And, and why do people love you? Yeah. Distilling it down to that. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think I think that's great. I think it gets to a certain point also where you have to be careful because there are a lot of artists who figure out why people buy and then they're like, okay, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do it anymore. And it's just one I found when I was first getting into music, there was a lot of artists that you're drawn. At least I was drawn to when I was a kid that that were like that. It's almost like easy an easy sell, you know. Someone I really loved early on was Green Day. Right. It's like they and, and, and I'm not trying to throw shade at them or hate them or anything like that. <laughs> But it's like they do their thing and they do it really well and they go out on stage, they get paid, then they go home. Mm-hmm. And I, I think there's something to be said for, like you were saying, finding your slice, finding yeah. who you are as an artist because you can only imitate for so long before it becomes... And also, it's just there's so much fucking shit on the internet. If you are trying to be the second best at something... Don't put it on the internet. Like, we don't need it. Yeah. <laughs> we don't need it. It's not interesting. It's not uh, relevant, even, like, maybe to you. Like, just do your own thing, mm-hmm. for fuck's sake. So much boring shit. And I think um, there was more... Well, no, never mind. <laughs> Zipping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, you released those two singles earlier this year, Blondie and Everything I. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the process like for writing, recording, releasing? Can you walk us through yeah. those steps? Mm-hmm. Well, um, weirdly, so every well, everything I came out first, but I wrote Blondie first by myself like a year ago um, when I was living on Second Avenue. We like were living in this little place, and I was um, yeah, kind of new to the city. It's about Blondie's about. Like, well, it's kind of about what we were talking about, like looking around and being like, fuck, like is, you know, seeing somebody at a coffee shop and being like, wow, they have it figured out. Maybe we should be friends because like I, they seem to have the life that I thought I was going to have. Yeah. And like just falling in love with that idea. And, um, I always, I always like writing about like those like uncomfortable feelings of, sort of like self-loathing but like you like yourself enough to keep trying but like you still kind of like fucking hate yourself that's the real that's the real (laughs) shit that's the real shit it seems to be where i go i don't know why um but everything i um was actually supposed to be a song for a band called mizuka who i i've written with for them a bunch um and weirdly enough they put out a single that I was, was supposed to be for me, um, and then I took this song from them. So we kind of we kind of swapped singles. Oh, okay, nice. Yeah. So it was, it was like, that's what they did with a lot of like uh, punk seven inch singles. Really? Where bands where bands will do each other's songs. Weird. <laughs> yeah, it was very DIY. Yeah. I kind of like that because it's like you know you can get the rights to the song. Easy. Right. 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 There's not like a bunch of bullshit that you have to to go through. Right. Yeah, uh, well, we're a bunch of us all write together, so it, it it was pretty easy to make that switch. <laughs> were they the backing band for these recordings that you did? No, um, the backing band for these recordings um, was a guitar player named Kevin Daly, who's amazing. Um, he like changed the color of those tracks so much, and anybody who's tried to play those guitar solos has been 
confused mm-hmm. and sad, but they can't do it because Kevin is amazing. Um, and uh, Mike Talks played bass. He co-wrote Everything I With Me and co-produced both songs. Um, we recorded at Pep Talk Studios, which is he is doing, he's creating, just like you were saying about how like you are the gig, Micah is the gig. He is um, creating an amazing space for alternative music and um, is that here in Nashville? That's here in Nashville. Um, He's kind of in the Woodbine area. Um, Mm -hmm. He has an amazing studio. He's putting out amazing records, Um, and yeah, he he's just the bomb. I'm gonna do like he's doing some a podcast and some videos and like a whole bunch of shit. Stay tuned to Pep Talk Presents. And I do have a single coming out with them in July. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. And also shout out to my fiance who played drums. I don't want to forget. Oh, okay. So you're also <laughs> with a musician. Yeah. It's everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, the first thing that I noticed about the singles when I was listening to them is that there's a very lush vibe to the production. You know, there's a, a sonic landscape. Was that something that you had in mind, or was that something through Micah? Well, these two songs actually sort of came about through playing them live first. So mm, The organic way. The organic way, which I didn't do with Topiary. And this next set of songs that I'm about to go into my writing cave to create, that's going to be... I'm, I'm writing for live now, whereas before I, I wasn't. And, um, but Blondie and Everything I, I've played with my band in Toronto a whole bunch. And, um, so that's kind of, I guess, why. They sound composed and lived in. Yeah, they, they were. Yeah. <laughs> More so. Yeah, the, the hours were put in, you know, the, uh, Pink Floyd, before they, uh, recorded Dark Side of the Moon, they took that album on tour. Right. They played it live night after night after what night before they recorded it. Which I, I, it's almost like you can't even do that anymore. You can do that, but it's so strange to do that today because if you're an artist and you're out there and you're somewhat known now, people are going to hear the live versions of your songs before mm-hmm. they even hear the studio version. So you get kind of got to be on it. Yeah. There's a whole new pressure, I think, and a whole new dynamic to musicianship that you have to have today. No one can really eat shit and learn in private anymore <laughs> the way that you used to be able to. But you know what? If we can learn one thing from Donald Trump, it's that there's so much information that it doesn't matter what you do because no one's going to fucking hold on to it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, truth. We're living in the area, uh, era of truth being subjective. Yeah. Truth doesn't really matter anymore. Yeah, and also just... If, I think if you fuck up on stage, like, how long can that story matter? It doesn't matter. It, it just disappears. Matter. Especially yeah. if you don't acknowledge it. If you don't acknowledge <laughs> it, if you don't apologize, yeah. it just goes away. Yeah. It's very interesting. I never thought of it that way, but that's definitely true. Spe- I mean, you have to live with it. Yeah. <laughs> Forever. Which is where the self-loathing comes in. Yeah. That's where the new song comes out. Yeah. <laughs> Let me call my new EP, Self-Loathing, a sound documentary. <laughs> <laughs> um... When did you write your first song? How old were you? My first real song I wrote when I was 17. It's called Tonight. And I um, then I was interning at a publicity company in Toronto. And I used, because I was 
the lowly intern. I would be the first one into the office. Mm-hmm. And I ended up um, having that song placed because the other first person in the office was a music supervisor on Degrassi. So um, I like gave him my my three songs that I had and um, like the next day he's like I listened to it I really like I really like that song and I was like which song there's three and he kind of looked at me like like the good one <laughs> like mm-hmm. the only one that's good <laughs> um, yeah, and yeah and then he put it on the grassy which is pretty cool wow pretty cool. yeah that's an achievement yeah 300 bucks later my career was launched. <laughs> yeah. I, what was that first moment like when he put it on? How did that make you feel when you found out you were going to have it in the, oh, in the show? Oh, so good. Like, really good because I um, grew up, like, listening to soundtracks. Like, like the OC soundtrack. Uh-huh. With Tegan and Sarah and Spoon. The Killers. The Killers. Yeah. Like, yeah, like, that's kind of how the OC soundtrack and the Grey's Anatomy soundtrack, when I was 14, 15, 16, like, didn't get much fucking better than that. Yeah. In some ways, it still doesn't. Um, yeah, so I was like, oh, cool. I'm, like, gonna be on a TV show. That's exactly how I consume music. And uh, it was very validating. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't imagine what that that's like. You know, I think every six months or so, I feel like I'm just like, I'm going to quit. I'm going to give up. I'm not going to do this anymore. And then a miracle happens. Right. That keeps you going for another six months. Yeah. It's easy, uh, I guess, to feel like the odds are just completely stacked against you career-wise and that no one gives a fuck, no one's listening, which is, to a certain point, it's true. They aren't, and they don't. You have to, you have to make them. And yeah. one of the greatest things that I've ever heard is that you have to be, just be exceptional. Be be the best version of yourself that you can be, and then maybe something will happen. Just be true to your your artistic spirit, which it's hard to do that sometimes. When you got to fucking think about a car payment, when you got to think about paying your insurance, you got to think about rents due. What the what the fuck am I gonna do? You know, there's all these external factors yeah. that make it difficult to be creative. Well, I think. We have to change the, if, if that's where you're at, like, you have to ask, am I only successful in music if I see money from it? Like, what makes you successful? You know, I do, I do lots of other things for money, which, before I said that, I knew that was going to sound weird, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I do lots of other things for money. You have to be a, a hustler if you're going to try and do yeah. this for a career. For sure, for sure. And, like... As long as they're things that align with your values, like, they add to my life and I learn things from them that help me in my music and they allow me to make my music in a way where I don't have to sacrifice how it sounds or how much I enjoy it. And I get to do it all the time. Um, growing up with musical parents who, like, came from Hollywood in the 80s, like, you know, where money and cocaine was The last just, two wrong. <laughs> yeah. It was just The last days blowing. of the Wild West. Yeah. I didn't anticipate that. And people sometimes think, like, wow, you're so lucky that your parents were in the music industry. It's, like, kind of, except that's, like, a completely different world that has literally nothing to yeah. do with Yeah, <laughs> with and the way things on. are now. What do your parents yeah. say about all that as being people who were in the, the prime <laughs> days, so to speak? What do they think of today? Oh, God. I mean, so a good, ex- good example is um, that... My 
I got offered a publishing deal in LA and I drove myself there <laughs> and I hadn't even signed the papers yet. Um, and as I was driving from Toronto to LA, my dad looked at me and he was like, you're so brave. I can't believe you're doing that. I'm really proud of you. When I went or when I moved to LA, they flew me there on a jet. <laughs> I was like, cool. <laughs> what? <laughs> and here you are driving yourself. My fucking shitty Honda Civic with like weird male pattern balding paint falling off issues. Yeah. It, uh, <laughs> you know, but but I don't think it makes it worse. No, I don't think it does either. It's like we have to sweat for it in a different way. Yeah. It's like doing cardio versus lifting weights. Mm -hmm. Something's still happening. For sure. You're still working out. <laughs> for sure. And, you know, also because, like, my parents, I grew up on my parents' royalty checks. Like, that's what money was. Yeah. And, um... When that started going away, when people started downloading illegally, my parents were like, what the fuck? How are we going to, what are we going to do? And, yeah. Um, I was around a lot of people who wanted to like roll back time <laughs> mm -hmm. and I don't think that's productive. I think right now more people are listening to more music more frequently. That can't be bad. There has to be a solution. And I think even as we speak, like, um, PROs are lobbying to get songwriters or in Washington right now lobbying to get songwriters more money from streaming services. I think, you know, as long as people want music, I think there's a future. I think people are always going to want music and they're going to yeah. want it. <laughs> yeah. As long as, you know, we're still human and not three-quarters robot. Yeah. Yeah, that bums me out a little bit. Well, you know what? We get to see it right before it gets real weird. It's just starting to get weird <laughs> yeah, right now. Yeah. Like, things are just starting to fucking get weird right now. How so? Well, we have this, the power of unlimited knowledge in our pockets. And I think it's almost as a species driving us fucking crazy. Because yeah. we don't know what to do with all this information. Um, you can turn on the internet and look at videos of kittens, or you can look at videos of ISIS beheading someone. Mm -hmm. There's such extremes that I don't think spiritually as animals, because I think we're still, you know, we're natural beings in this world, spirits in the material world, as Sting would say. Um, I don't think we've figured out how to come to terms with it yet. It's, it's too much for us to handle. It's very overwhelming. I feel overwhelmed by it a lot of days. It's anxiety inducing to turn on the news. Yeah, for sure. Or to, to just even open up your phone and start scrolling through your Facebook feed and seeing what everybody thinks about the world. I don't do that. It's a lot to, <laughs> it, that's probably smart. It's a lot to handle yeah. at once. Yeah. I think um, there's, I, I, it's called omni, or biocentrism. Have you heard of that? No, I've never heard of it. Um, well, I'm not going to explain it well. Obviously, I don't even know that much about it, but from what I've heard about it, it's very cool. Basically, it's the idea that consciousness creates reality, not like reality gave birth to consciousness. Mm -hmm. And I bring that up only because I, I think um, I'm of the mentality that like what exists uh, only exists because we can dream of it. And yes, you can go on the internet um, and see kittens and you can see ISIS beheading people, but also you can meditate and see those things and you can, you can go to such darkness in your mind or you can go to such lightness in your mind. That's there anyways. 
it's, you know, we can choose to relate to it or not relate to it or... Choose to absorb it. Yeah. Like, I don't have a news feed. I'm also dyslexic, so... <laughs> uh, the internet, Googling, reading a bill. Very hard for me. Very hard. Not a written word person. Um, sort of like what I was saying at the beginning. I'm like, there are a lot of things I'm not good at, and it's used to be shitty, but I'm realizing in this age of, like, information overload, it's kind of nice to know your lane a little bit mm -hmm. <laughs> and find people who are good at those things. And yeah. Just be like, hey, I'm shit at this. Can you, can we team up? Yeah. <laughs> I do this, you do that. Um, anyway, yeah, you, it, you can be overwhelmed by the world, but also you don't have to be. You can turn off that news feed, turn off the news. Yeah, that's true. I think, I think that can be a struggle sometimes just because of the way that technology is. is, is like, it's almost like the glow of the screen is an addiction to the human mind. It is. You know, it's a steroid, just all these colors and all of this light projecting into you. So I think as time goes on, before, once our generation starts to get older, we're really going to start talking about the effects of mm -hmm. technology and both the positives and negatives of how it will start affecting us. Because so I think there are things that we're doing right now that we're not going to know are harmful until 20 years from now. Yeah until another generation comes up and takes a look back and they start studying mm -hmm. certain things like, how do we know that these, these phones don't, there's not something in them that causes like cancer or something like that from sticking it in your pocket, giving you... I think there is. I think like the EMFs and shit are <laughs> microwaving fucking, us at all Yeah, times. radioactive. It's, it's bizarre to think about, but you know, I can also order pizza from my phone, so it's a trade-off. Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> it's sort of like when in the 50s people used to go and see like how radioactive they were thought it was awesome mm -hmm. or they used to chain smoke when they were pregnant right we still do that no? when people are not doing that anymore I hope not <laughs> I think we I hope we have enough knowledge to where it's not happening anymore no I'm just kidding <laughs> um so how can people find you? Where can they get a hold of your music? Where can they get a hold of you? How can they be in on what you're up to? Thank you for asking. Um, where can you find me? Uh, <laughs> I was going to say like drinking a coffee uh, outside barista parlor that I brought from home because it's too expensive there. No, just kidding. Um, you can find me not on Twitter. You may have uh, just heard the thing I said about not being able to read. I'm not on Twitter. It's too hard. Um, definitely on Instagram. Love A lot me. of pictures. <laughs> love, love pictures. Good for dyslexia. Very good for dyslexia. It's at Zoe Sky Jordan underscore. The underscore is there because I made a mistake and I can't fix it. So that's what happened. Zoe, Z-O-E-S-K-Y, Jordan underscore. Perfect. It just is. And I'm on Facebook. And um, I'm on Spotify. That's that's the main place to find my music. Okay. And Apple Music, too. Oh, Apple Music. Um, oh, yeah, all those platforms. Anywhere that uh, that you can find music digitally. Not so much on SoundCloud. I have a couple songs there. I'm on Bandcamp if you like to purchase music. You can also do that through... Can you do that through Apple Music? Can you buy music through Apple Music? Yeah. Well, if I think if you're on Apple Music, you're also on the iTunes store, so people can also purchase it there. Amazing. And Grandma learned something. Thank yes, you. <laughs> you're welcome. Um, 
You also have a show in Toronto. I have a show in Toronto. It's a charity show for girls 20. It's really cool. It's going to be in a glass cube. That's on... Uh, a glass cube? Right? That's on um, June 7th. And I have a show in Cincinnati on June 22nd at The Hub. Awesome. Well, if you get the chance, go out and see Zoe. She's going to be playing music live and uh, rocking your socks off. <laughs> Thank you for coming on today. Thank you so much.